Hello, and welcome to our latest Human Givens Ask the Expert podcast. I'm Julia Wellstead, and I'm part of the Human Givens team. Today, we'll be asking our expert, how can we improve children's behaviour? And we're delighted for this to have Miriam Hahamu as our expert today. Miriam is a family psychotherapist and a Human Givens practitioner and tutor. Over her many years of experience, Miriam has helped numerous children, families and professionals to understand and overcome behavioural and mental health problems. And she now provides workshops and courses to parents who wish to help their children and adolescents to develop into more rounded adults and fulfil their potential. Her teaching includes understanding and improving children's difficult behaviour, a one-day course which she tutors for our Human Givens College. And Miriam's also the tutor for our OCD one-day course, which is understanding OCD and how to best treat it, our course on demystifying feelings, and our Human Givens supervision course for therapists. She's also the author of How to Calm a Challenging Child, a great book. And she's recently started a YouTube channel for parents called Enjoy Your Children. So, wow, that's amazing, Miriam. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> Lovely to hear you, Miriam. And thank you so much for being our expert today. Now, Miriam, we've got loads of questions, but I've got one opening question. Uh, can you tell us more about how you began your work and then how the Human Givens approach has helped you when working with children and adolescents? Um, yeah, with pleasure. Um, about 20 years ago, I was looking for a career change and I came across the Center for Children and for Families. Um, who, and we were working there with the children that had behavioral difficulties, emotional problems, the learning difficulties. And I started working with these children and following um, the, the way of, of the person who uh, established this institution. She, her name is Noel Janice Norton and the approach was called uh, Calmer, Easier, Happier Parenting. And I started learning from her how to communicate better with children, how and what kind of skills to use in order to get children to be their best. And what happened, what I could see over time was happening, was that some parents really took on to these skills and they run with it and there's so great results. But other parents just couldn't do it consistently over time so they will do the positive skills they will be praising their children or um, doing what we recommended and then at some point something happened and they lose their temper they'll snap or they become sorry they become really anxious or very down and depressed and i was looking for a way to help these parents and also to understand what was going on because the advice there was excellent. So how come some people just couldn't do it? And I looked around for a while until I got um, to one of these um, Human Givens training days. And from that moment on, I was completely hooked. It basically, the penny dropped and it provided everything that I needed more. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So, for example, just thinking about anger as unmet needs. It's, I mean, I know for some of the listeners that may sound quite trivial now, but at the time I couldn't really make sense of all that. And looking through that um, lens of needs and resources, um, 
for the children, for the parents, for the relationship, for the family as a whole, was just what I needed. And this is um, what I've been doing ever since. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, I'm sure more about the human givens approach will come out during your answers to the, to the questions. So shall we, shall we get going? I've, I've got two questions here that sort of go together. So I'll start with those, I think. Um, what do children need in order for them to be their best? And what can I do as a parent to make sure this is happening? And sort of added to that, I suppose, how can we create the perfect home environment to benefit all family members? Okay, so yes, these um, questions do tie in together. And the first thing I would say maybe to the second person who's asked is please, please do not strive for perfection. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I may, I may be a bit pedantic about the use of words, but, but what I see quite a lot is parents um, are under a lot of pressure these days. Um, I think, some years before, children were just playing outdoors. Um, parents weren't as much involved. They were just fed whatever they were fed, what everybody else was eating. They were running around. And now there's pressure about everything. There's a pressure about what your child is eating, who is mixing with. We don't let them, in most areas um, of the UK, we don't let them just play out by themselves. Um, and then we've got very, very limited time with them and we want this time to be really great. And I see lots and lots of parents are completely stressed out by that and they feel that if they haven't done everything exactly right, then the child's going to be damaged or this child's not going to fulfill their full potential. And that's a lot of stress. So I would say, first of all, strive for good enough um, environment for your children and that's good enough is good enough that's music to my ears yeah. certainly <laughs> <laughs> yes because i mean i do see lots and lots of parents get, getting stressed and then the children get stressed nobody can enjoy um family life together when when you're just thinking oh is this good enough am i good enough um in a way i think maybe we are contributing to it you know in, in our work the people who work with family because we do want to help families enjoy each other more but we need to do it in a more relaxed way and perfection isn't contributing to it yeah, yeah. and then i would say there are two levels where you need to think at the first level is about understanding your children is trying to understand how they think what they need um just trying to understand their position and their experience and on top of that you want to put effective communication skills so one isn't very good without the other. You can talk about communication skills a lot, but if you don't really understand your child, you're not going to know how to use them or you're not going to want to use them. But if you only understand your child, but you don't really know how to communicate very effectively, that's not great either. So I would say these are the two areas we need to think of. And we need to balance the needs of everybody in the family. It's not just about parenting your child and forgetting about yourself and about your couple relationship if you, if you are in a couple relationship. It's about everybody learning to be considerate and understanding of each other. Yes, so, so, so that's really bringing in the, the, the human given's needs for security, for attention, for 
For all sure. the other things, isn't it? Yes, For connection. Sure. And, and sometimes in families, it's almost like a battle of whose needs are going to be met first and who, whose needs need um, kind of a, more of a priority. But we need to move away from this mindset and thinking, you know, how could everybody's needs over time in balance, everybody's needs could be better met. Yes, lovely. Yes, absolutely. And uh, you've begun to touch on the next two questions, actually, which, which is about communication. Um, can we improve children's behaviour through the communication techniques? And, and what is the key? What is that communicating that, that, uh, that enables us to communicate effectively with children? Yeah. So the answer to the first question is absolutely yes. We can improve the behaviour through our communication skills. I mean, actually, there is no other way of improving their behaviour. Of um, course. That's the only way we can do it. Um, but I wish there was just the one key, you know, like the one thing we could do and, and that will sort things out. There's, it's in fact quite a complex picture and we need to look at it from many angles. But if I had to choose just the one thing, I would say um, be calm, respond calmly, don't react, don't try to sort out everything in the moment, but take a longer term view and try to kind of um, progress over time. Don't try to control every situation and make it great. Take your time. And I would also say deal with your own ghosts of the past, because a lot of the times our children would push our buttons and we react from our um, unmet needs or our unresolved issues from our own past rather than looking to see them and trying to understand them. So if there was one thing, I would just say that that's the thing to do. Yeah, that's amazing. Yes, that's very interesting. And, and something I, having uh, brought up three children myself, I've, what I discovered was I communicated slightly differently with each of them. You know, and they, they, they communicated with me perhaps differently with each of them, especially as they became adolescents, you know, one, if he asked me to go for a walk with him, I knew there was something coming, you know, yeah. and with others, it was different. That's great. And that's because you took the time to get to know each one of your children, their own character and their own kind of needs or the way that they would communicate with you. There's no one recipe that's going through it all. That's my experience as well as a mother. Yeah. Is that I've got three as well, they're adults now, but... Uh, each one needed different things at different times. Yes, they're all individual. And, and yeah. why, why wouldn't they be? <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, on to the next question. How much do toddlers understand about being naughty? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> the short answer to that is not much. <laughs> I'll give you the long one, though, as well. Okay. <laughs> uh, um when they do something we don't like they understand that we're not happy with them because we show them that yeah. um, they understand that we're not pleased with what they're doing but the concept of something kind of um, offending somebody else or them being naughty isn't something that they can really get um, when when they're really small it's as if the whole world is a playground they're out there to play and they're little scientists that are trying to understand everything so they'd want to 
stick their little fingers everywhere. Um, they want to taste everything. They want to drop things just to see what kind of noise they make or to see if they're going to fly up to the ceiling or actually drop to the floor. I mean, all these things that we, we take for granted, they really want to um, learn and experience. And of course, we need to keep them safe. And of course, many of these behaviors are not okay. But they don't really understand what it is, what it means to be naughty. They don't understand that other people have got different wants than their own. They don't understand that other people have got feelings that are different from their own. So asking them to be really considerate and, and to um, understand things in, in a complicated way is asking too much. Yeah. Yeah. So really at that age, and we're by toddlers, we're meaning sort of under, under five, under four, under three. I think toddlers is kind of two, three year olds. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course, they, they need to start learning things. They need to start um, learning about consideration and, and sharing and taking turns. But they have to do this really, really slowly. And what I find in, especially I think in this country, because I come from elsewhere, that we ask children to um, behave far too soon and we ask them for example to apologize when they don't understand what sorry means um, you know just say say sorry and then they perceive it as a humiliation rather than understanding really what sorry means and then really wanting to apologize yeah so a lot of the times we ask them to understand much more than they are capable of. Um, I think in the earlier years, people just used to smack, you know, a, a little toddler that does something not quite right. We, you know, not we, but people used to smack their toddlers. And now we don't do that anymore. So instead we explain and explain, but a lot of the times these explanations are far, far too complicated for them. So I we're, would say, yeah. With it's toddlers. almost as if we're explaining it for ourselves, isn't it? Sorry to interrupt there. Yeah, it, yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. It's sometimes explaining it for ourselves and sometimes it's just venting. You know, yes. we're frustrated and there's nothing else we can do. So we speak and speak and speak and we do it very, very quickly. And um, the, the toddler just gets the tone of voice saying that we're not happy with them and they don't always understand why because the brain isn't developed enough usually to understand why and if we do this too much then over time they're going to start thinking themselves as bad little people or you know, trouble and we don't really want that no. so with toddlers it's more about distracting them and reducing temptations so get the environment safer so that there's less chance of of doing something that's naughty and that will be much more helpful than than explaining too much or trying to get them to behave too soon absolutely and should both parents give the same response to bad behavior well i mean there is a short answer to this one and the short answer is yes i mean ideally you want to be aligned um, you may have different styles, but ideally you want to be aligned on the more important issues. So if a child does something and one parent tells the child off and the other one laughs, that's kind of not a really great message. 
Yeah. Um, so that, that kind of good cop, bad cop thing doesn't necessarily. Yeah. I mean, both parents basically need, need to hold both. They need to hold, hold the understanding and the warmth and the fun and also the discipline and teaching children to be kind and considerate and well-behaved ideally now this is not easy to do because typically you know parents will have different backgrounds and different ideas about how to approach things so parents need to communicate and and, and sort this out and reach compromises and if possible not in front of the children yes because it's not great for a child to see both parents arguing about that child. Yes, well, I suppose potentially they see a loophole there if they see that the parents aren't... I'm not suggesting a toddler can identify a loophole per se, but, you know, if, if, if children see that the adults aren't in um, agreement over something, then the child might then work with that. Yeah, that's right. So some children will go to the parents they perceive as the easiest one that is more likely to give in and would ask that parent. Yeah. Or um, sometimes they just get really distressed because their parents are arguing in front of them and they know that they were the cause of this argument. So that is not great. Um, but look, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about my, my own life. I've, I kind of made, made myself a parenting expert and um, with my husband, it wasn't easy sometimes because I thought I knew exactly um, what needs to be done. And um, I've actually learned to be much more modest over the years because your partner, even if you think you cannot really uh, bridge the gap between you, he must be holding on to something that's important too. And you want to kind of discuss things and think about solutions, think creatively, what could you do differently? What could you do that's going to um, be a step towards where you want to be and, and listen to each other and try and come up with something that, that you could both live with. And a lot of the times the, the person who's, let's say more of a disciplinarian would love to have more fun and relax a little bit. They don't feel they can do it because they feel the other person isn't holding the discipline at all or the other way around. Yes, I see. So yes. really, you don't, I mean, I'm actually going to release a, a, little, um, a little video explaining this on Sunday on my YouTube channel so we can... Yes, <laughs> as you've mentioned it, tell us a bit about your YouTube channel. What's... Oh, um, well, I've realized lately that we don't have that much patience for reading anymore and that youtube is a great um way to approach people and to to get this um these ideas out there so i started a channel and um it includes about five to six minute uh videos about specific topics uh it's either myself talking to the camera or interviewing um people and I've got one and I'll put some more uh, of role plays um, with myself and a, a, an actor playing a teenager and just showing everyday situations and what could be done kind of simplifying ideas and yeah I'm actually if um, 
I know that there are probably going to be more questions than we questions that people ask that we could answer today. So people are invited to go there and um, put a comment with a question and I will uh, make a video about it. Ah, that's brilliant. And I think it's called yeah. Enjoy Your Children. Is, it? Is that how people can find it? Oh, that's fantastic. right. Or you can go to YouTube and search for my name. Right. Um, yes. I think there may be even a possibility of uh, putting a link where the podcast is going to be. I think so. so. I'm sure yeah. we can do that. So yes, do that's that. brilliant. And that'd be great. I did actually watch one or two of them and, and they're brilliant, Miriam. They're very oh, thank you. Uh, thank lively you. as you are, lively and entertaining and educational. So that, that's, that's great. Yeah, it's not, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm doing it just to get it out there. There's no, um, you know, financial motive to all that. It's, it's just there for people it's just to benefit. Information. From. Yes, yes. Which actually brings us on to the next question. How should we educate our children about mental health so they know it's okay to not be okay? or whatever? Uh-huh. Well, that's a really important question. Um, I think discussing mental health and mental well-being needs to be ongoing. It's not like a conversation you can have with your teenager um, when you've heard about maybe somebody self-harming or, or, or they tell you about something in distress and suddenly you need to explain all that to them. I think People need to have the language of feelings um, built into their lives from a young age. So basically the message is it's okay to feel whatever you feel. Feelings are basically just alarm systems telling us that our needs are not being met. I'll say it in a, again in a minute. <laughs> no, okay. Feelings are the way that our brain tells us it's, we need to do something. They are motivators. And they motivate us to uh, look into what's not quite right and, how to, and motivate us to make it better. So usually, they would, if you have a strong feeling, a negative feeling, it would usually point to a need that's not being met. And so we can have these conversations about how people feel, um, from a really young age, it should be okay for you to say how you're feeling, um, for other people to say what they're feeling or they're thinking about things. And um, that needs to go kind of on and on. Um, you do that without using psychological jargon. So, I mean, not, not too long ago, I had a nine-year-old come here with his uh, parents and he just said to me, I'm depressed. Huh. And so uh, he'd learned, he'd, he'd been told that by somebody else yeah. then. We don't, we don't and necessarily I'm, I'm know that. Yeah, I mean, wh wh what makes you think that? And he said, well, I'm sad. And my mom said I was depressed. So that's kind of the thing that we don't really want to do. Um, we don't want to use kind of clinical diagnostic language. We can say, I'm a little bit down. I feel sad. I'm nervous. Yeah. rather than I've got an anxiety disorder. And if that is something you can talk about as part of your day-to-day -day life, then it's much more likely that if your child feels more distressed, he will tell you. Um, you can also talk about um, the films that you've seen, um, news items, stories, and just mention that sometimes people feel, you know, life is like that that sometimes there are challenges or sometimes we've got problems and we feel that it's a bit difficult for us. 
and we reach out for help and we get over it and we move on. So th I think that's all you need to do really with children. Uh, obviously, if there's something specific that happens in your family or around you, you can discuss it. But um, don't go too much into, um, you know, talking to them about suicide or self-harm or something like that. It's just going to scare them. They're just going to freak out. Yes, yes. And as we know from the, the very recent news, there's so much on social media about things like suicide and self-harm. Yeah, um, that's right. That's right. So you can, you can say, you know, if, if we're talking about teenagers now or children that you think may have been exposed to that, you can say some people are unhappy and they do all kinds of things. And if you feel unhappy, please talk to me. I will do everything I can do to help you. There's a lot that can be done to help. Yeah. And you can so, say that sometimes when you feel down, it looks like there's no solution, but there's always a solution. There's always a way forward. And we're going to help you uh, find that. So that's a part of a wider discussion, if, uh, a part of your whole, kind of the whole idea of having a positive relationship with your child, where people are mindful of each other. And of course, the, the importance of communication, it all comes down to communication. Definitely. I mean, if your child doesn't talk to you at all about anything, they're not unlikely to share and open up to you when something goes wrong for them. Yeah. So this is just day-to-day -day communication. Every day we talk about something. Yeah. And yeah, it's not Absolutely. one big conversation or one big thing that you could do. Mm. Okay. Um, thinking back to labels and not using diagnostic jargon, um, here's a question about OCD. So, and I know, Miriam, you have a course on obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, yeah. This is, my child is becoming quite OCD. They have to have all their food in specific places on their plate and do things in a certain order. Should I be worried about that? How do I know if they'll grow out of it or not? Mm -hmm. Well, um, the thing is that you can't really tell. Some children grow out of it, especially if it's um, only confined to food. But I think from the question, it's not just about food. Um, there are lots of children who are very picky with their food and then they do grow out of it. Um, but children who are not just picky about food, but tend to be rigid about their lives generally and um, like what one things in a certain order such as like say uh, the bedtime routine um sometimes can become even more fixated and so i would say if the behavior stands in the way of you just enjoying your life then you want to address it um and um what happens a lot of the times is say parents want that the child uh, will only eat the food a certain way, then it's very, very easy to just make it the exact same way because you know that your child's going to eat it and you're not going to have a fuss and you're not going to have battles around your um, meal times and he's not going to be late for school. So it's very, very easy to just do what the child asks. But if you do that, the child is actually learning that it's important to arrange the food in the plate in that particular way. Uh -huh. And it's important to have these 
um, routine just the way he wants them because you are cooperating with it. Yeah. And so yeah. a lot of the times parents don't mean to, but what they do is they start becoming a part of these routines and these routines can become more and more and more elaborate. So from a child who would say, um, have a bedtime routine, which people think all children need, not all of them, by the way, need it, but some people, some children need a clear routine. Um, and from, from a routine that's um, more flexible and would include maybe going to the, um, you know, having a bath, brushing your teeth, going to your pajama, bedtime story, and a kiss and goodbye, it can become more and more and more elaborate and the parent would sometimes just um, do some some of these steps just to pacify the child and that doesn't really help so i would say it's best to address it really and the way to address it is not by suddenly refusing to give the food in this way and doing it completely different but it's about putting little changes all the time so did you say that the child wanted a particular uh, plate or uh they have to have all their food in specific places on their plate so i will start from changing the plate yes you know? <laughs> having a slightly different plate and then having it's the food slightly differently and then maybe adding a little bit of the food that they like with something that they usually wouldn't eat, but just have a very, very, very little, little piece of it mm. and not make them to eat it. And you need to be creative and just push them very, very um, slowly and creatively. And just don't let this rigidity settle because then it will be very, very hard to shift. And would you say the rigidity is caused by something, an unsettledness in some other area of, of their life? A lot of the times, life? yes. I mean, I mean, it could be that the child, that, that there's something happening in the child's life that it could be something at school, it could be um, something that happened in the family and they feel out of control and anxious and um, the rigidity could be a compensation compensation for that so at least i can control what's on my plate um at least i can can control um how i go to bed or these are usually the the two areas where children are most um um inflexible about so yes sometimes it's a sign of that and there will be some children by the way i completely do not know who the person who asked this question is so i'm i'm not making any assumptions about to that child but some children who've got some autistic spectrum uh, traits can become very inflexible and a lot of the times thinking well he's on the spectrum um, so he needs his routine so let's have his routines but what I'm saying is that yes you need a little bit of routine but if it becomes too elaborate and too rigid then actually the child needs to be trained very, very slowly to become more flexible. Yes. Yeah. And you do it... And, with, and perhaps stability in other areas life of, of, of their life will help with that. Of, oh, of course, of course. Um, 
whenever there's um, any mental health concern about a child, you want to basically scan their lives and check to see whether the needs, needs are met in, in all areas of life. Yes. So, that, so that, that's, and, and, that's very much so. But then it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that if you find that there's something else that's going um, not great in their lives, you can't always fix it for them. But it also doesn't mean that you're going to let them um, become more and more and more rigid. You need to do both. You need to take care of their emotional needs, and you need to help them be flexible. But I would say the most important thing about teaching children to become more flexible is actually teaching them to become more flexible, not demanding it. It's yes. about slowly, slowly, and with patience. You want to treat your child the way you want a teacher to treat your child in this area. You and I, to- I, do, I do like that point you've made that as parents, we can actually... Uh, because we know they like their food in a particular way and it's easier we can actually further the OCD if we're not careful. I think yeah, that that's was a very important point. Yeah. But I'm right. sure you go I'm sure you go through much more of this in, in your obsessive compulsive oh, disorder for sure. For sure. training yeah. day. Yeah. Um, I think there's one coming up pretty soon. I think sometime in March, if I'm not mistaken. Ah, brilliant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well all of all of our courses uh, can be found on the humangivenscollege.com website. So if you are interested, any of our listeners, have a look at that. Um, next question, Miriam. My children love watching TV and looking at smartphones and playing computer games. What effects will this have on their mental health? Okay. So first, I mean, I don't know the ask as children, and there's no um, one... Thing that will happen to all children who like their screens basically um, but I can say what, what what the concerns are and what the benefits are generally for children and the first thing I, I want to see is say is that uh, screens aren't our enemy it's not that they are here like a, an invader and we now all need to fight them and get them out of our children's life because there's just gen- danger about them that that is not kind of a, a wise way to go about it it's really about balance and some use of screens, TV, smartphones is great. Um, usually the problem is that we have too much of it. And what have been shown is that there is a link about, uh, between the time people uh, spend on screens and ADHD. Um, basically children who are used to the fast pace of um, social media, TV, um, watching things, playing computer games, find it much more difficult to concentrate on their studies. Because, you know, so, I, go, so I suppose that it's, it's grabbing our attention all the time in yeah. small sound bites. A child who's used to the screens um, and things are jumping around and there's music and lots of colors and it's fun and you can switch whenever you're bored you can switch to something else is going to find it very difficult to concentrate on a teacher explaining something in class even if it's primary school and they're all sitting on the carpet and the teacher is showing something it could be very hard because the teacher can't produce all these sound effects and jump around like the cartoons on tv so a lot of the time when children are used to 
too much stimuli, it's hard for them to concentrate. That's one thing. Yeah. The other thing that I've seen um, lots of teachers complain about is that um, children get to school with very um, poor social skills because they haven't had the chance, even with their siblings at home, they haven't had have, the have chance to play together, to share, to fight and make up, um, to just talk to each other. Because yes, because they're each, all on their separate devices, yeah, of course. Each family member is on a separate device. By the way, when you talk to children, they usually complain about their parents being on their phone until they get... <laughs> that's right. Until they get their own phone and then they don't care. Yes. Oh, isn't that sad? So, oh, my goodness. But, but, yes. but look, I mean... I, Again, it's a question of balance. It, it's not about it's all being bad. It's just about balancing some screen time with some time to do other things. Yes, because there's so much to, good to be found. The, there's a lot of good stuff. And also yeah. not all screens are the same. You know, when you watch TV, you're just the passive consumer of somebody else who created some content there. Mm. But there are lots of um, computer games that are very creative. There are ones that are played with, with other children online. Um, so you get some social interaction through that. Um, there are all kinds of sports devices that are also electronic. There's quite a lot going on there. Not everything is the same. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, and then, then the other thing is social media. And that is especially... Um, been shown about girls but also with boys to a lesser degree is this need to be popular to get lots of likes for your instagram pictures to um to um show your best all the time and show the world that you're having this wonderful life and if we just leave our children to it and we don't mediate it for them that's not great so, so again, again, that's communication, isn't it? You know, if, if you don't know your child's on social media and um, feeling down about something, then you can't help. Yeah, that's right. And it's much more difficult now because in the olden days, you know, when I was growing up, the phone was attached to the wall. Yes. And you picked it up and you didn't know who was at the other side. So your parents usually knew who you were talking to and they can hear your could hear your conversation because you're there in that kind of central place it's very different now it's far more difficult and the only way is to keep communicating with our children to have fun time together to have some time that the phones aren't active yes do some activities together turn them off or put them on airplane mode or put them in the charger in that, another room. Um, and, and of and course I, that includes the parents' phones. Yeah, so it's, I, I think we are yes. as guilty. Yeah. And yes. it's not fair to ask our children to be more mature than we are. I mean... If, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> if, if, we can't, if we can't let go of our mobile phone, how could they? How could we expect yeah. them to do it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so that's kind of, that's really a huge topic. That's a huge area. And, and I think if we put limits and if we communicate about what we're seeing, then there will be a time that we are going to watch whatever we want to watch or enjoy a computer game. And then we should be allowed to enjoy it and not feel guilty about it. 
Exactly. And, yes. You know, if you know that your child's doing a little bit of sport, you walk together to school, you've had a chat, he's done his homework, a few chores, and now he wants to relax and play a computer game. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, there are games that certainly my sons could could play the games together. So yeah. yes, uh, that works as well. So yeah, for sure. But, Moving on, here, here's the next one. How can we get children to learn from their mistakes? Mm. I've got, that, that's an easy one because I've got, um, I've got a little clip about this on my channel. Ah, fabulous. It's fabulous. called, uh, sorry seems to be the hardest word. I mean, there are a few of them going, um, like three of them, five minutes each. But the principle is that you don't tell them off. I mean, that we think sometimes that what we need to do is point out to children um, what they've done wrong, and then they will be remorseful and will regret it, and they will learn from it. But a lot of the times what happens is when we point out what they've done wrong. By the way, most of the times they know it already. Yes. Um, but if we then point it out, all that happens is that they become defensive they now feel that they need to defend themselves from your perceived attack and they are much less likely to learn so there's a process one can go through um, with their child and i think if people um, want to learn a little bit more about it they can really go and see this kind of video called so it seems to be the hardest word and that ex explains well what to do how to get people to why it's so hard for people to apologize and admit their mistakes and how to move them on from that. Yes. And again, your uh, YouTube channel is called Enjoy Your Children. Yeah. And, and we can find that there. That's brilliant. Um, I'm going to put the next two questions together, Miriam. Mm -hmm. um, when should a bad child be tested for behavioral problems? And what should I do if I'm worried about my child's behavior? Right. Okay. I mean, um, I'm sure the person uh, didn't mean kind of bad child in, in that kind of condescending way. I'm sure um, they've meant um, basically that the child's behavior is challenging and they're not quite sure whether they should be assessed or tested. I believe this is kind of um, the question. And um, okay, so I would say there are kind of several questions you want to ask yourselves. And the first and the most important one is are his teachers concerns concerned is, is the school concerned or nursery um if you're if you go and 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 ask the school teacher your your um child's class teacher and the teacher is concerned then i really suggest you get concerned too um I haven't mentioned that, but uh, in the last, I'll say five, six years, I work um, two days a week around uh, primary schools, and I go and observe lots of children when there are concerns about the behavior. behavior I go and observe them in the classroom, and I um, do quite a lot of training and um, incident days for teachers about children's behavior. And what I see sometimes is that the child clearly isn't coping with the school and right. sometimes parents would say things like oh well he's only six or you know i used to be like this when i was a child i found school difficult 
and school doesn't quite understand him. He doesn't really understand my child. But what I'm saying is if there is a problem, that could be all true. And maybe our school system, I mean, in my view, is asking children to um, behave and listen and sit still too soon for some children. I accept that. But still, your child isn't coping at school. It means that there is something there that you need to look at. Yes. So that will be my first thing. If you are, if you haven't heard from the school, go and ask. If so again, child, it's communication, isn't it? So yeah. In this case, if, if, if your child is challenging at home, go ask the teacher. If the teacher yeah. say, "Well, he's perfect. There's absolutely no problem." That is kind of a good sign. Um, you may want to look at how you are managing your child. But if the, the um, teacher saying to you, actually, you know, there's this and that problem, then please take it seriously and go. I, I, I can uh, explain later how to go about it, but say to yourself that you do need to address it. And then the second question I would ask is, does he have friends? Uh-huh. I mean, does he, is he, he doesn't need to be the most popular child in the class, but, um, is invited to children's homes, is invited to birthday parties. Does it seem like children want his company? If yes. the answer is yes, then less to worry about. But if the answer is no, again, you want to make think, you know, what is going on here? Yeah. Because again, then, that comes that comes down to the needs, doesn't it? The need for community for connection with other people. That, that that's case. right. But some some children are desperate to have friends but somehow they find making friends or keeping friends quite difficult and so they they may need some help and then i will ask another question and that is there anything going on or just happened in that child's life you know it could be things like having a younger brother born or um could maybe moods house maybe there was some medical issue in the family there could be things of everyday life that are not necessarily um they're not they're not trauma or something really horrible that happens but they're just transitions in life that that maybe the child needs a little bit help with and again you can also ask is there anything major that's happening there that the child's responding or reacting to yeah Sounds so yeah. if, if, if your child's really happy at school, he's got lots of friends and nothing happened and you still see this difficult behavior at home, then you may want to look into your parenting skills. Um, if the school is concerned, the school may be able to refer for an assessment. Uh, there's, every school has got a special needs coordinator and um, you can get the school to refer for assessment. Um, typically, um, children will be assessed for ADHD or for autistic spectrum disorder. Right. We have a um, question coming on about that, actually. But uh, just before that, um, so would you would you tend to do that? The next question is: Should I send my child for counselling or family therapy? Okay. But, Can would, I just say before yeah, before of course. that, that the, for the person who is asking, what should I do? Is first of all, you know, you speak to the teacher if the school may be able to give you ideas or refer on, but if you are still worried and the school hasn't referred, talk to your GP. Right. Because there's, you know, there's help available there. You can access it. Yeah. 
So you would do, would you do that before going to counselling or family therapy? I would, I would have a chat to the GP. Yes, why not? Yes. And see if there's anything that that's, could be going on there. Yeah, I would. Mm-hmm. So to move on to that next question, at what, under what circumstances might you suggest a child goes for counselling or even the whole family goes for family therapy? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a very general question. I don't know how old the child is and what the problem is. Um, I, I would say generally, in, in my view, with children who are not yet teenagers, or school-age children, um, when you have a, fu- a parent who is functioning, um, it is useful to see somebody as a family first or, or for the parents to go and speak to someone first rather than locate the problem in the child and say, you know, my child now needs counseling. Because it's not that the, if the child's, it, again, the, the, the question is very general, so I don't know what this is about. But suppose your child is very anxious. Let's take this as an example. It's easy to think I can send my child to counseling and they're going to cure that child and help him with his anxiety and that will resolve the issue. But it's very rare that a child is um, anxious without having some anxiety elsewhere in the family. So is either learning from one of the parents to be anxious or nervous about something or he's anxious about let's say things that happened at school and the parent doesn't know how to support it. So better that the parent does a bit of investigating first rather than assuming the child needs therapy. That's right. I mean, the way I personally work, and sometimes I do get these phone calls of people asking, could you see my child? I always say, I will will first see you. Yes. Because I want to get a picture of what the background is um, what's going on in the child life, and I want to um, do it in a way that isn't going to put the child on the spot, because you don't want to go to someone you don't know with your child and start talking about your problems. Sometimes what happens is the parent just starts blaming the child, saying he's got this problem and he's rude and he's not listening to me, and then the therapist is there sitting and kind of almost cooperating with the parent shouting at the child. Again, yes. I'm not saying that this is anything about the ask of this question. I'm just explaining generally how I think. Yes, so knowing, knowing the context is yeah. very key. So I would think, I don't know what the problem of this uh, person is, but I would say go and check out, look for a recommendation. If there's a human given psychotherapist in your area that um, is confident dealing with families or children, that's great. Um, yeah. If not, I mean, family therapy is great. I'm trained in family therapy. Um, it is a very helpful approach that sees um, everybody in their context. And it's so important for children because if your child is very anxious, an individual counseling is unlikely to happen unless you change your approach as a parent as well. Yeah. Same about your child um, having low self-esteem, say. You know, there's no way to build in this kind of this um, self-esteem in a session if you are criticizing your child without even realizing you're doing it. Yes. Or so it, it, 
yeah it, it it it's making it to do with the whole family rather than the individual yeah and it's not necessarily it's not that the parents are at fault or anything like that but because they're the people who spend most of the child of their time with their child and they're so influential the parents are really a resource to help the child get over the issues that the child is dealing with. Yeah. So I would usually work with the parents first, at least see them once. And then you can have joint sessions uh, with the child. Um, sometimes some children do need some individual sessions. I'm not saying it will never be helpful. For but sure. I, I would yes. hesitate just sending somebody to just see a psychotherapist who doesn't particularly communicate with the parents. Everything is confidential. Something is happening once a week in the room and you know nothing about it. And uh, that w just wouldn't be my, my way. Yeah. But yep. this, my, that's my take on it. I'm not saying it's ab the absolute truth. Moving on, Miriam, to the, the final question for today, I think, is how can we help children with ADHD? Mm. Okay. Um, I mean, there are lots of children that, that are, have got a diagnosis of ADHD, but some of them aren't necessarily diagnosed, but they are very active, very easily distractible. Um, they're risk takers. They don't learn very easily from consequences. And there's a lot you can do to help. But the first thing you need to, um, to consider is that it's going to be a lifelong learning. It's not something that you could just do it for a little bit and then it's going to resolve itself. So the first thing I would say, just acknowledge and accept and come to terms that this is what your child can do now and that there may be a big gap between their intelligence, their intellect, their understanding of things and what you actually see on the ground. So the child will probably know that these and these things are not okay to do, but they just can't help it and they will do it. So I would say, first of all, accept that and also accept that there will be good days and bad days. Now, Julia, we all have good days and bad days, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> but for most of us, the gap between a good day and a bad day isn't that huge. And, for, and a part of the profile of children with ADHD is that they've got really good days and really bad days. And so a lot of the times it's very tempting to the parent to say, well, can't, why can't he kind of concentrate on his math? He did it yesterday. Oh. Uh, it's so like he did it yesterday, he showed me he can do it, so why can't he do it now? But with ADHD, a lot of the times, a part of the profile is that it's kind of uneven, and there will be days that he just can't do it, although he could do it yesterday. It's very difficult to, to parent a child with ADHD. It's not easy at all. So it's, it's, it's uh, something all, I said right, right early on about knowing that each child is individual and different and communicate with them differently. In this yes. case, what I'm hearing is that you have to be sort of on your toes in a sense to be able to communicate differently with them according to how they are. Um, yeah, but also you need to do it in a relaxed way because if you are constantly worried about the next thing your child's going to do, you're just 
going to bring a lot of anxiety to the system. So I think if you accept where your child is and you say, okay, he's got this very active, very lacking in concentration profile, I need to help him. I'm going to take a deep breath. It's going to take me years. So I'm not going to, if you have got that, you don't expect your child to behave really well because they're not going to be able to. You just accept this is what you need to deal with. It's going to take a little bit of the pressure off. Yes. So that's the first thing. Second thing I would say, look into your child's nutrition. Because a lot of the children with this profile um, are very, very sensitive to sugar. They're sensitive to additive. Now, most people of parents with ADHD, most parents with, um, who's got children with ADHD, they know. Uh, you, they shouldn't give them cocoa pops for breakfast because it's far too sugary. But there's a lot of things that we think are quite healthy and lots of children with ADHD can't tolerate. I'm talking about things like raisins or orange juice. Um, really look into the nutrition. It's, it's, I'm not a nutritionist, but, but have a look. There's a website called Food for the Brain. Right, Which and, I think uh, we could put a link to that yeah, probably as well. It, it's got a yeah. um, section about ADHD. It could really help. Giving a child with ADHD something sugary or high in carbs and expecting them to behave well is just setting them out for failure. Mm. Mm. What else? I would say opportunities for physical exertion. Now, a lot of these children are very sleeping because they're on the move all the time. But a lot of the times, their motor skills aren't very great. They're um, what we call gross motor skills. The use of their body could be quite clumsy, and almost all of them haven't got very good um, control of their hands, fingers. Oh. So their handwriting is going to be difficult, like unlegible. And so create opportunities for them to exhaust yourself and to um, practice their ball skills, running, um, big movements with their arms, small movements with their hands, pre-handwriting exercise and do it, make it fun. Um, oh, that's celebrate. very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Celebrate all that's good about them because yes. these kids are so much fun. They are creative, they are curious, everything is interesting to them. I mean, the reason they can't concentrate, it's not because they're not interested in their schoolwork, it's because they're interested in everything. They are interested in um, the teachers, the haircuts, in the pictures that's on the wall, in somebody that's actually walking along the corridor, um, in the noise of car making as it goes down the street. So, yeah, so, so I, I assume, I, you know, I often wonder what happens to children with ADHD when they become grown-ups, but I assume if they're oh, channeled correctly, is. they can really excel at something. Oh, yes, for sure. Because they've got a lot of energy, they've got drive. Um, if they have gone through their um, childhood and teenage year without breaking their spirit, somebody breaking their spirit, they are... They can be amazing. They can be great business people. They think out of the box. They are very alive. They can. They are interesting people. They are great people to have at a party. 
So what we want to do is get them through the educational system without breaking their spirit. Yes. Um, we need to build into our day the distractibility. So we need to know that everything's going to take longer, not cram too much into a day um, because they get distracted. So it takes them longer to organize themselves, help them with the practical strategies. Um, take a deep breath. You want again to think of yourself as a teacher, not like, rather than think as a parent. You think, how do I want my teacher, his teacher, sorry, my child's teacher, to respond to my child yeah. and that's how you want to do that Fantastic. you want to do it but, yeah but it's yes. hard look there's a lot it's more hard. it's a lot you need to talk you, about you, in my courses and you know that there's a lot more yeah but um well and that brings me on Miriam actually to there there are other questions here uh about self-esteem about anger about seeking attention but all of this we've really run out of time for today and all of you do answer all those questions much more fully in your one day course That's um, right. so thank you so much miriam for today is there anything else you'd just like to add before we yes, close for I, the just, day? I just want to say enjoy your children and, and 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 trust yourself you know if you if you if you don't have if you're really uh, worried, go ask some, some, someone who, who knows, you know, who works with children and is experienced. But basically, um, trust yourself and don't expect perfection. Your child isn't going to be really scarred if you shouted at them once or you lost your temper. It's not how things work. We're talking about balance over a long time. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, okay well that's lovely thank you so much miriam thank you thank you thank for you. taking the time to answer the questions uh it's been fascinating for me and i'm certainly relieved because i definitely didn't have perfection in my household so that's a relief Neither to know I. that's a good thing Neither <laughs> <I>. <laughs> um but i'm thank sure all of this will help both parents and children and professionals working with children come to that yes. so thank you so much um you're very welcome. now thank you Thank you, Miriam. Now, to our listeners, if you'd like to continue learning about children's behaviour, Miriam tutors, as I've said, uh, a one-day course called Understanding and Improving Children's Difficult Behaviour. And in fact, the next time it is coming to London on the 13th of March and the 15th of October this year. So if you'd like to find out more about that or other courses, please visit humangivenscollege.com. And all of our podcasts are now available on SoundCloud. So please follow us there. We do hope you've enjoyed this Ask the Expert podcast. We've got more coming up. But meanwhile, thank you for listening today. And we hope you have a great day. Bye for now. Coming up. But meanwhile, thank you for listening today. And we hope you have a great day. Bye for now.